Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit us online at nwgospel.com forward slash citizens. All right, all right. If you are a citizen and you are ready for tonight, I want you to give me a whoop, whoop. <laughs> Somebody here who drives, how many people have a license? Did you just get scared when you heard that? Whoop, whoop. Whoa. I learned a long time ago that I had this like inherent fear of the police officers behind me. And I was always like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, am I gonna get pulled over, am I gonna get pulled over? And my friend said, bro, if you just stop going over the speed limit, it literally will evaporate all of your fear. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, whoop, whoop. All right, all right, I, I wanna tell you guys a story. As you guys open up your Bibles, go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Revelation because we're gonna continue our series called Overcome. So when I drive in the car, I usually um, listen to a few things. I got, um, number one, I'm usually listening to 88.9. Any classical fans, right? So 88.9, it's like Portland, actually, I'm sorry. 88.9, Portland's classical radio. Uh, I love it. I love it, right? It turns every drive into a beautiful drive. So I'm like, oh my gosh. It's like, uh, 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 uh. I'm like, click. Beautiful, right? If I'm not listening to classical radio, I usually put on my sports talk radio. You're listening to Colin Cowherd and the Herd. You know, it's like some sports. Got to get my sports. Love sports. Thanks, homie. Love Max, too. Um, and if I'm not listening to that, I'm probably listening to a podcast, so maybe some leadership podcast. Maybe I get down some like Craig, Craig Rochelle leadership, Andy Stanley leadership. I, you know, I just want to learn. And so this crazy thing happened um, a couple of months ago in my life. Um, my kid talks. My kid has opinions now. And so usually it used to be where he was a little bundle of silent joy, right? And I put him in, I start the car and I listen to whatever I want to listen to. Not anymore. My son, Mike is at an age now where he now has an opinion about what plays on the radio. And so I put on sports talk radio and he's like, daddy, what's that? I'm like, excuse me. All right. I put on my classical music. He's like, daddy, put on music. I'm like, oh. This kid now has an opinion and I know that my car ride is not going to be enjoyable with a daddy, daddy, daddy. So I go, you know, I'm going to pacify the little sucker. I'm going to go put on some music. So I put up my Spotify, you know, I parked the car. Obviously I'm at a stoplight, you know, throwing in whatever, whatever, ignore that part. I open up my Spotify playlist and I'm like, I just search for kids music. Okay. Playlist comes up. Super popular, lots of subscribers, kids play house music. I'm thinking, all right, there's probably a few kid slaps on there, right? Maybe some kids have given it some thumbs up. There's a lot of subscribers, you know, under the three population. So I throw on, I throw on this playlist and the number one trending on this playlist is this, uh, this hit, hit single. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it. I don't know if it's new, but it's called Are You Sleeping, right? And it really, really intrigued me, this song, and I'm gonna perform it for you here tonight. Um, 
and it goes a little something like this, but usually it was like a little kid voice, which is way creepier. So I'm just going to do it normal voice because you know I don't like, all right, here we go, here we go. Are you sleeping? Are you sleeping, Brother John? Brother John. Morning bells are ringing. Morning bells are ringing. Ding, ding, dong. Ding, ding, dong. Now I'm sitting here going, all right, I, I suppose that there are some three-year-olds in this country that have voted that up and that's why it's trending. I suppose that in the kindergarten classes, that's a pretty big hit, but I have a couple of fundamental problems with this song. Number one, if you do not receive a response to the question, are you sleeping? You do not ask a second time. <laughs> are you sleeping? I said, are you sleeping? And so you imagine some guy cozied up eyes closed on his pillow being interrogated by this clueless songwriter. The songwriter then goes on and says, you know what? Maybe he's not responding because I didn't clarify who the object of my inquisition is. So I'm going to add his name in here. Brother John. Say it twice. Brother John. You're thinking it's his sibling. No, this dude's a brother. He's trying to get his afternoon nap. Are you sleeping? Brother John. Still no answer. So the author continues and he says, perhaps I should tell him that morning bells are ringing. Except the audience does something very weird at this point of the song. Not only do they tell him that morning bells are ringing, they tell him at the same volume of the morning bells that are ringing. And so the song is actually performed like this. Are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? Brother John? Brother John, morning bells are ringing, morning bells are ringing. And I'm just like, how messed up is this right now? Dude's trying to get a nap. And you ask him not once, not twice. You call him Brother John twice, and now you're going to start sounding off morning bells? And then in case the napping dude can't hear it, you say, they sound like this, ding, ding, dong, ding, ding. Am I the only one that has a problem with this? Are you sleeping? Are you sleeping, Brother John? This is now my car ride experience, so welcome. Welcome, if you wanna call me on the car ride, that, would maybe, that may be more preferable. But as I was listening to this song, it actually reminded me of our text tonight because as, even though it is messed up for this singer-songwriter, and I don't know who it is, it's probably a five-year-old that hit it big, you know? It's always the five-year-olds. It's always like the teenagers that have no talent that make it big on YouTube. Like there's 10-year-olds that have, what's the 10-year-old's name? That has like millions of dollars, more than me. What is it? Lil Tay? What was the one we looked at? Remember? Yeah, anyway. It was probably one of those famous YouTube kids, right? Bilingual, I speak French. And so, though it's messed up when that singer-songwriter asks the question, it reminds me of my text because when Jesus asks you, are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? It's way more serious. In the Bible, Jesus teaches his disciples. He says, I do not want you to sleep. And he explains what he means with the following story. Check it out. Are you sleeping? He says, be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge. Each with his work. And he commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. 
for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. You don't know, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Stay awake. So Jesus tells this story about a man who's going on a journey, right? He's a pretty wealthy man. He has servants in his house and he's about to go off on a journey. And so he's like, all right, I got to make sure that the house is set up. So he's got his backpack. The suitcases are by the door. He's got the itinerary. His wife's probably like, Johnny, not the same John who's sleeping. Johnny, come on, get the luggage. We got to go. He's like, one second, Lou. I got to make sure the servants have their job. So he goes over and he's like, all right, listen, You make sure that nobody breaks into the house, okay? You make sure that everything is dusted. I want to make sure, you know, you make sure that the bathroom's spotless, right? I'm leaving. I don't want this house to be in disrepair forever. I don't want to come back and the house is falling apart, right? So you guys got your jobs? Yes, you sound good? All right, great, here we go. Oh, but wait, master. Master, yes, I will do that. But I was just wondering, um, what kind of journey is this? Are we talking like days? Are we talking weeks? Are we talking months? Is this like a sabbatical? Like how long are you gonna be gone? And the master picks up his bags and he's walking out and he goes, I don't know, just be ready. And he leaves. And so imagine you're a servant, right? And you're like, okay, he can come back at any time. I gotta stay on my toes, right? And so you're cleaning those bathrooms and you're keeping it dusted and you're watching the doors. And you, every time when you go to bed, you make sure you put the alarm code on, right? Because you don't want him to come back and find it off. Every time that you wake up in the morning, you make sure you do all the chores. You make sure that the, the, the animals are fed. You make sure that the dog goes out because we don't want him, the wee-wee pad. What a bad idea, right? That's not God's design. It's nature. So you make sure the dog gets out. You do that for a day, two days, a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month. Your master is gone for two months. And as you're cleaning out the chicken coop, you wonder, he said he can come back at any moment, but like, will he though? Will he really come back today? Maybe today I can just sit back and take a nap. Maybe today, I mean, he's probably not going to come back today. I'll just clean it tomorrow and he will never even know that I was sleeping on the job. Maybe today we can just sleep. We can just sleep. And what happens is the servants, they go to sleep. They didn't stay awake. They went to sleep. They were lulled into a false sense of security. They said, he's not coming back. And the master comes back unannounced unexpected and those servants will get wrecked. Are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? This is the message that Jesus gave his disciples for the church. And the question I have for you tonight is this, what happens when Christians fall asleep? What happens when the servants of Christ get sleepy? What happens when an entire church falls asleep, meaning they fall into a spiritual slumber and they stop being vigilant and they stop staying awake looking for Christ and instead they go, ah, we can afford to take a nap. What happens in your life when you become a sleepy Christian? We're gonna find out today in the sixth letter that Jesus writes, the fifth letter that he writes to the churches of Revelation and the title of this letter, I call it, is Sardis, 
Are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? Let's begin here. Chapter three, starting in verse one. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write this. The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. First thing that we learn from this letter to Sardis is that sleeping Christians need to wake up. Sleeping Christians need to wake up. We just learned the sleeping metaphor from Jesus, right? He gave the metaphor of what it looks like to live for Jesus. It's like staying awake. Don't go to sleep, stay awake. In this letter, Jesus takes the sleeping metaphor even further and it gets a lot darker because what Jesus says is not, wake up, you're sleeping. He says, wake up, you're dead. Wake up, you're dead. You're not just asleep, your slumber is resulting in spiritual death. You are dying on the inside. And so I love that he takes it even further because when you and I hear sleeping, we picture this, right? Oh, brother John, brother John is sleeping. But when Jesus is talking about sleeping, he's not like, wake up, you're sleeping. He's like, wake up, you're dead. Wake up, you're dying. The kind of sleep that he's describing is more like this. (laughs) Wake up, Christians. That's what he's saying. He's talking to people that are, it's like they're unconscious and in a coma. Spiritually, your heart is flatlining. If you were to look at the heart monitor of your spiritual heart, it would just go, he's talking to people who it's like their spiritual life is on life support. Are you sleeping? And you know what makes their condition even worse? Not only have they fallen asleep, not only are they no longer looking to the imminent return of Christ, look what it says, no one knows it. You have the reputation of being alive. Meaning on the inside, they are dying. Their spiritual life is on life support, but from the outside, everything looks like it's good. They have the reputation of being alive. These are vibrant Christians. They're involved Christians. These are the people that we want to look like and admire. These are our leaders. How many of you know that things are not always as they appear? Right? Many of you, too many of you are acquainted with this verse. Too many of you know what it's like to have everything put together on the outside, to come to citizens and to have the smiles and you have your Bible and you're going and you raise your hand, you look good. How's your walk with Jesus? I'm blessed. And you know what it's like to be on the inside and to go, actually, I look a lot more like that guy. And what makes it so sad, and I see this from my vantage point, is that all of you guys come in here and the reason why you're keeping up the appearance and the reason why you're concerned about the reputation is because you look at that person and they look like they got it together, but they're dying too. 
and we're a bunch of dying people passing each other, trying to maintain a reputation and a perception. How many of you know that not everything is as it appears? And so they don't even know it, that they're dying. But here's the good news. It's hard news, but it's good news in this text. Jesus sees beyond appearances. Look who Jesus is. He's the one who has the seven spirits of God. I thought there was only one. You guys didn't know that the Trinity had nine people? Sorry, theological joke. Not true. Father God is God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Why are there seven spirits? If you missed the first week, we talked about this. Seven, meaning perfect and complete and everywhere. Jesus has the Holy Spirit who is perfectly present and and, and completely knowledgeable of everything, meaning he knows everything. He has the seven spirits. He has the seven stars, meaning he has the churches in his hand. In other words, you can't hide from Jesus. That's what this is trying to say. They have a reputation of being alive, but you cannot hide from Jesus. He knows that you're sleeping. And so what do you say to sleeping Christians? What would you say to sleeping Christians? Morning bells are ringing? (laughs) What do you say to sleeping Christians? Look what Jesus says to sleepy Christians. We know that's who Jesus is. Look what he says. Wake up. He says, wake up. He comes to them. He sees who they are. And he says, you're dying. You need CPR. You need to strengthen the little life that is inside of you. The little pulse that you have. We need to strengthen that. We need that to come alive. We need to increase that. You need to wake up. How? Man, all right, you got me, Jesus. I get, I know I'm dying. I know it's like I'm in a coma. I know spiritually it's like I'm asleep and I want to wake up, but how? That's why you're here tonight, for the how. Everything that I have to tell you tonight is about to come in this moment, so pay attention, okay? If you're a sleepy Christian, if your spiritual life is not where you want it to be, if you're saying, Sam, I admit it, I'm like the people in Sardis. I'm asleep. I want to wake up. How? Look what he says. He says, wake up, and then he tells them how. He says, Remember what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Remember what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you're a Christian, I want you to raise your hand, okay? And I want you to keep it high. I want you to look at me. If you're a Christian, show me you're a Christian, okay? What did you receive and hear to become a Christian? Say it. The gospel, hands down. If you are a Christian, sleepy or not, if you're a Christian, remember the message that you have heard in the beginning, the gospel. And so Jesus says here, I want you to remember the gospel. But Sam, 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 oh my gosh, I can't believe I came for this tonight. I'm already a Christian. I don't need to hear the gospel. I need you to give me some deeper truths. I need you to give me the real secret to snap me out of my spiritual lethargy. I need to give you me, you need to give me like four steps so that I can become awake and live my best life as a Christian right now. Nope. 
The gospel is not only at the beginning to become a part of the family of God. The gospel is the very thing that we need over and over and over. If you just raise your hand, listen to me. Nothing will infuse your spiritual life with vitality more than the gospel. The gospel, as we remember it, as you rehearse it, as you learn it and grow it, as you rememorize it, as you talk it to one another, as you read it and you sleep it and you breathe it, as you continue to grow in the gospel, that will make every single part of your life come alive. Nothing will increase your spiritual liveliness, if you will, more than a firm understanding of the gospel. It's as if the gospel are the CPR paddles that will waken your sleeping souls. The gospel are like the CPR paddles that will bring to life your dying heart. Are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? Remember what you have received and heard. Friends, the gospel message, the beautiful gospel is not only the good news that won our hearts, it's also the good news that will wake our hearts. And so students, if you are here and you say, Sam, I'm sleeping. Sam, to be honest, I'm disinterested in the things of God right now. Sam, I'm gonna be honest, I come here and I bring my Bible sometimes, but like, to be honest, I just don't care. Sam, I know I'm a Christian, I've been baptized, but I'm in a season of life where there's just a lot more things important than living for God. I'm just being honest, Sam. Thank you for your honesty. And if you're not there right now, I want you to pay attention because you will be. Students, it's okay. Every single one of us will be there. The worries of this life and the the realities of just being a human being easily crowd out the joy of living for Jesus Christ. So first of all, I want you to know there's no shame there. I remember when I was a student, I asked my youth pastor, I go, hey, am I like, I kind of have a problem. And my youth pastor is kind of just like bracing for like, here we go, here's the big confession, you know, or something. And, uh, and I go, I don't think about God all the time. Well, what do you mean by that? I mean, like sometimes I'm in math class and I'll go for like two hours and I go, oh yeah, God. And I remember like asking her, like, should I like always be thinking about God? And she was like, it would be kind of weird if you were like two plus two is Jesus. <laughs> and I remember it was so funny. I laughed. I go, I'll never forget that. <laughs> There's a reality, right? We're not constantly where we want to be. We're not constantly practicing the presence of God. No shame. That's okay. You will be there at some point. But what we're talking about today is when you are at a place where you go, man, I'm not thinking about God as much as I want. Sam, there's not joy that marks my relationship with God. I'm, I'm like spending time with prayer and Bible reading. It's more like eating my broccoli. I kind of just do it sometimes because I have to. Students, the gospel changes that as we rehearse that and understand that. And every day, remind ourselves afresh of the beauty of it. You find that the gospel brings joy where there was once just begrudging obedience. And so here's what I'm gonna do. Right in the middle of my message, I just want to pause. I just want to call a time out here. No commentary from me. I'm not even going to do this because the whole goal is that we need to be reminding each other of truth. So I have seven students who are going to come and literally here's what we're going to do. Like instead of just using the gospel, uh, come up guys, come on up. Instead of just using the gospel as like 
a, a catch-all phrase. I want us to remember, what do I mean when I say gospel? And so we got seven scripture verses. Lenny, right here. You can start number one. Seven scripture verses, right? You can close your eyes. You can follow along on the screen. But I just want us to remember, what is the gospel? The gospel cannot just become Christianese for, oh, you know, what Sam says. No, no, what, when I say the gospel are the CPR paddles, what am I talking about, okay? And so students, tell us the gospel. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Nice. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Romans 3, verse 22 through 24. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5, 6-8 For while we were still weak, at the same time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still in sin, Christ died for us. Philippians three twenty through 21 But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly bodies, body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Amen. Guys, this is the gospel. Thank you, students. This is the truth that Sardis forgot. This is the truth that Sardis, they start to just assume, they go, oh, the gospel, we get it. Yeah, we know what we're talking about. That's old news, and they forgot to look at it. They got to a place in their lives where they stopped meditating actively. You never, like, do you ever read something and you just go, oh, I gotta stop and just think about that. Mm, that's good. And you almost just like, gotta like move it around in your mouth to taste it, you know? They stopped doing that with the gospel. And when you forget the goodness of what Jesus has done for you, it is very easy to become mediocre. It's very easy to accept mediocrity. It's very easy to become complacent in your walk. They forgot the truth. Do you remember the gospel, students? Sam, how do I know if I'm remembering the gospel? How do I know? I mean, I know it, but how do I know if I'm really doing what Jesus calls us to do? How do I know if I'm remembering it? Ask yourself, are you asleep? How's your, like, how's your spiritual life? Do you have the appearance of being alive? Do you have the appearance and the reputation of being passionate for Jesus Christ? But you know that inwardly, there's not much going on. Are you asleep? If so, here's the grace. Jesus calls us, wake up. Hear the gospel. 
Students, wake up by hearing the gospel. There's not shame. Because here's what happens. And and this is, I know it, because I do this with like other things. Like for example, my trumpet, I'll take it out and I go, oh, I know how to play the trumpet. And I can't do anything. And I go, oh man, now I'm just more frustrated, so I'm not going to play it anymore. And then the next time I want to go play it, I go, man, I can't because I'm not as good as I used to be. And then, blah, 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 and then it's like 17 months later, I'm like, I never even picked it up. And we do that, right? We get into these cycles of shame and we go, man, I want to read my Bible. Oh, I'm not even good enough. I should have been reading it for a week and I broke my streak. I didn't even last one day, so I can't even go there now. And we get into these cycles of shame and it's as if we go, man, I want to be better. Try harder. Oh, I know what I need. I know what I need. I know what I, you know what I need. I just need another camp. I just, if I just get a camp in my veins, woo, then I'll really be a lot. There's no shame. It's not try harder. It's not focus on what you need to do. The solution is gracious. Let's focus and remember what Jesus has done. The gospel is what brings life to our sleepy souls. Are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? Wake up. Remember the gospel. And do you know what you have to look forward to here? Do you know what you have to look forward to, students, if you can overcome this spiritual lethargy? Do you know what you have to look forward to if you wake up? Look what Jesus says in the last couple of verses here. Look what he says. Yet you have still a few names, meaning there's still a few people in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who overcomes will be clothed in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. He ends with motivation. I love, there's only six verses, we're done. It's super short. And I love this about the passage. It is packed out with motivation. How many people need motivation sometimes? Your boy, right? I love this passage because I need motivation, man. I'm such like a roller coaster dude, right? I, I respect people. Is Chad here tonight? Chad is such like a, he's like, oh my gosh, I'm having a baby. Oh my gosh, my dog died. Like just so even keeled, right? And me, I'm like, baby! And then other times I'm like, oh my dog died. Like anybody like me, you're, like, you're just super high, super low, right? And so I'm all over the place. I need motivation, right? You know who else needs motivation? Like, like seriously, I'm not exaggerating. This human being literally needs more motivation than anybody else on the planet. You know who that is? Oh, look at you guys, so naive and ignorant, right? Oh, look at him. Yeah, look at him. This dude needs so much motivation, man, Right? And so just like this passage, I try to find ways to motivate my son. And what I found is there's two main strategies that I use, okay? You're about to judge me as a parent. All these 17-year-olds like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was there. I had a lot of opinions about parenting. And then I became a parent. But anyway, so here are my two strategies. I think they're biblical because I find them in this passage. But my strategies, number one, is fear of consequences, Okay. And here's what I mean. Micah, right, will have friends over and Micah's like, no, it's my toy. And like literally, I'm not joking, right? He'll have a toy. He'll see somebody else run and grab another toy. He runs over and goes, I want that one. And so our mature little three-year-olds, right, the little ladies that come over, they go, okay, I relent. 
I, fine, I concede, you can have it. I'll go play with the truck. I want the truck! I want the hip! And he just literally cannot share, right? It's like, it's just, he's about to explode if somebody touches his toy. And so then I do this. I go, Micah, call him outside, put him on the stairs, and I sit him down, I go, Micah, if you don't share your toys, I'm taking away all your toys. Snap! Woo! There's like a transformation in that boy, Right? <laughs> He is overflowing with obedience. He's like, I love you. Yes, daddy. No, daddy. I love you, daddy. I want to share. I love sharing. Here, share with me. Everybody share. Open the front door. Everybody have my toys. I just... <laughs> Who's your daddy, right? <laughs> For real. And so sometimes I motivate him with fear of consequences. In the same way, in this passage, Jesus, he motivated sleepy Christians with fear of consequence. He says, guys, I know you're, listen, you don't want to be found sleeping when the master comes back. Ouch. That's motivation. God graciously gives us motivation to help us overcome our lethargy, our sleepiness. And so we see Jesus uses this form of motivation. But there's another way I motivate my son. And what I do is, when I see him kind of, when I start to see the horns, emer- I'm sorry, no, no. When I start to see the anti-sharing emerge from him, from him, you know, he's like, that's my hit. And he's like, you say the signs, you know what I mean? Starts tweaking a little bit. Little rubies going on the hippo. And he's like, shh, shh. And it's like, I just grab him, right? Before he does anything, oh, Micah, if you're obedient today, if you're fast to obey and you're kind and respectful, remember later tonight, we're gonna go to the park and get an ice cream cone. (sighs) Keep the hippo. (laughs) Not only is he motivated by fear of consequence, he's also motivated by, by, by hope in the future, right? That's exactly what Jesus does. He goes, guys, you don't want to be caught when he comes back. But also remember this, if you overcome, if you wake up, if you wake up, if you overcome, here's what you get to experience. And now he paints for us future hope. Why? Because just like my son Micah, our hope in the future shapes our obedience in the present. And so this is how he ends his letter to sleeping Christians. He says, look what you can get. Look what you have to look forward to. Number one, you will walk with me in white. The one who overcomes will be clothed thus in white garments. I see some of you guys, some of you dudes, you fly dudes, you like white. You ever see somebody come in with a fresh pair of Air Force Ones and it's like glowing, like they just walked off the sun, right? You know what I'm talking about? Give me two per. It's just like, shing, shing. It's just, there's something nice about wearing white, right? It's fresh. It's clean. But this is more than a fashion statement, okay? Jesus is not like, yo, I'm going to give you the freshest stuff off the Nike white line. Does that exist? Is that a thing? It's about to be. It's about to go down. And so Jesus, he's not talking about fashion. What he's saying is this. If you hold on. The war will soon be over. If you hold on, you will go from experiencing war and you soon will experience a wedding. And you're the bride. When I come back, it's not just a master coming back to his house. It's a groom coming back for his bride. And you're the bride. And I will dress you in white to symbolize your purity. 
You will be clean, undefiled, the perfect, most gorgeous, foin wife there is for me. Foin, you're like, what word is that? It's actually pronounced fine, but when you're just feeling it, you say foin, like there's an extra O in there. Oh, oh, I'm gonna start saying oh. He's saying, I'm gonna dress you in the most pure white garments. Not because you're pure, dude, check this out. Those of you who are like, what's revelation? It's straight bars, that's what it is. Because a couple chapters later, he says that it's the most white that you've ever seen. And the way that he got it white wasn't because of bleach. It was because of blood. Woo! He's like, the martyrs have dipped their clothes in the blood and it came out white. It's just parody and irony and bars. Sight, we won't even get that far. But Revelation is sick. Wake up so that you will experience not war, but wedding and you will be the bride and you will be accepted in and you will be with Jesus forever. That's what you have to look forward to students. Wake up. And you know what else you'll experience? Not just white garments. Look what he says. He says, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Anybody have a passport? Okay. If you don't have a passport, how do I know you're a citizen of America? How do I know you're a citizen? Oh, you got a social security card. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, what if you don't have a social security card? Oh, you got a birth certificate. Okay. What if you don't have your birth certificate? Then what? What? what how, how do I know you're a citizen right now? Show me, prove to me you're a citizen. How, prove to me. You can't, you can't prove it to me. Prove it to me. Oh, you got a license. Well, I guess that doesn't work then. Um, awkward. Um, there's a million ways to prove that you're a citizen. That's my point. There's a million ways to prove that you're a citizen. My son, my, my infant son can prove he's a citizen. What do you do if there's no such thing as passports and IDs and green cards and all those things? The only way to prove that you were a citizen, the only official record was the citizen's roster, the registrar. And so if your name was in the book of citizenship of Rome, you're a Roman citizen. That's the only way, right? There had to be an official record somewhere. And so if you are officially a citizen, you're good. You having your name in that book was literally life itself. And the biggest thing that could happen to you, if you were a criminal, if you committed a capital punishment, if you committed treason, what would happen to your name in that book? And all of the security of being a part of the, of, the, of the empire, all of the security of being a Roman citizen, all of the perks and privileges and safety would be immediately gone because your name was removed from the book. And Jesus says, students, wake up. Remember the gospel. Overcome your spiritual lethargy. Overcome the antichrist culture. Because if you do, I will never remove your name from my book. You know what that book does to anybody who goes, you're not a citizen. Oh yeah, look at the book. And that book acknowledges your citizenship. The book acknowledges that you're in. In heaven, no one can accuse you because Jesus Christ stands up and acknowledges you. Yes, she belongs here. She's with me. He acknowledges you before God the Father and before his holy angels. Do you want to experience that? Do you, really, do you want to experience what it's like to be the bride of Christ? Like, I, like I'd be content to be like at a heaven party. You know what I mean? Like if there was a bumping party going on in heaven, I would be content to just like sit up outside the wall. And 
Like I just, just to be in the presence, to be near a holy party. I'd even try to sneak in probably. I'd be content to sit up in the rafters and just watch the angels just get down, you know? It's electric. No, it's not. It's just angel power, right? I don't know. But imagine you go to a heavenly party and you're like the main, like you're the main guest. You're the bride. You're not crashing the wedding. You're in the wedding. Do you guys want to experience that in heaven? Wake up. Do you want to like experience what it's like to never go a day in your life again and doubt your salvation? To never go a day in your life and go, I don't even know if I'm going to make it. I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I don't even know if I got what it takes to be free of all that guilt. Because you look up and you go, Jesus, am I good? And he goes, you're good. You're with me. I'll never erase your name from the book. Do you want to experience that? Honestly, Christians, do you? Then wake up. Wake up. Remember the gospel. Wake up. Remember the paddles. The paddles of the gospel didn't only win you to Christ, they will wake you for Christ. I did something different today. I don't know if you noticed. As you guys were all coming in, I was sitting in the back and I just was watching you. I was just watching you. And I wondered to myself, how many people are coming here tonight that like right now, this may be the first time they've thought about Christ all week. I sat there and I watched and I wonder how many people are here just because their parents make them? How many people are here that if they were to answer honestly, they go, I'm just here for the girls. I'm just here for the boys. If they were to answer honestly, they say, I have no interest in the things of Christ. I don't care who, what master is coming back. I don't care. I just, I wonder. And then I thought to myself, we literally have the goods to make you come from death to life. We literally have the good. Like if you're here tonight and you go, dude, I'm not interested. I'm, I'm seriously disinterested in Christ. No dude is gonna convince you otherwise. No girl is gonna convince you otherwise. No, no amount of sermonizing. It's simply hearing the beauty of what Jesus has done for you. And that message will win you over. That message will woo your heart. That message gives you the hope and the joy to live this moment and every moment after for the God who saved you. Students, are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? Jesus' message is clear. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Be honest where you are and wake up. Wake up. How do we wake up, Sam? And I leave you with this. This is what we talked about earlier. It's very simple. Remember and repent. And so band, why don't you guys come up? Here's what we're gonna do. We're ending early tonight, right? We have 20 minutes. And we're gonna do family chaos. When we stand, I'm not asking you to leave to the bathroom. This is not time to go play basketball. This is not the time that you suddenly remember, oh yeah, I've had to go to the bathroom for four days and I forgot and you walk out. If you do that, we're all looking at you now. <laughs> we're gonna stay here and we're gonna have some family chaos, okay? Meaning we're gonna move around. We're gonna do what we have to do. But here's what we're going to do in this time for 20 minutes, okay? Here's what we're gonna do before 8.30 comes. We're gonna remember and repent. Everybody say remember. Repent. 
Here's what I mean by that. Remember, we are going to remember the details of the gospel. And so Max and Anna and Kennedy and the band, they're gonna help us remember the details of the gospel with words, music. You can also remember as you read the scripture verses, I put all those scripture verses there. Maybe you go to a corner of the room. Maybe you get by yourself and you open up your Bible and you just read through a couple of those and meditate on them. Maybe you remember it by getting with a friend and go, dude, I'm dying. Can you just speak truth to me? And they go, absolutely, Tali, let me help you. And they'll open up 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and they'll just read the Bible to you. We need to remember. We need to remember. And then the second thing is we're gonna repent. Do you know what it means to repent? Turn around. Stop running away from God and come to him. There are students here right now, you have not turned yourself into God. You're on the run, you're a fugitive. And the funny thing is, you can't hide from him. He's the only one that will meet your confession with pure forgiveness and no shame. Confess, tell him where you are, he knows anyway. Turn yourself in tonight, repent. Remember and repent. And so if you need to find a spot in this room, you're free to stand, you're free to sit, but you're not allowed to leave. This, we're gonna have some business here. We're gonna do some family chaos and we're gonna respond to this. Are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? Then wake up. Wake up. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I know in the gospels you told us to not fall asleep, to not lose our vigilance. But Lord, in Sardis, we see a church that has fallen asleep. And I'm glad that we see it because now we know what we can do. Now we have your gracious words that tell us, hey, no shame, only gracious motivation. You tell us how to wake up. You tell us what is awaiting us if we do wake up. So Lord, I pray for my little brothers and sisters here that you would wake them up. Lord, I pray for these young men and women that you would snap them out of their spiritual lethargy and that they would remember the gospel and it would be like paddles on their spiritual hearts to go, oh yes, I forgot how amazing Jesus is. Oh yes, I forgot why I loved him in the first place. And then three days from now when they start to fall asleep again, they go, oh, wait, wait, I, I know how to do this. I'm gonna remember and repent. Let this be a community that is constantly reminding themselves of the gospel and counteracting the spiritual amnesia that we all struggle with. Lord, we love you. Have your way in us in this time as we sing praises to you, as we read your word. Be glorified and honored by what's about to take place. In Jesus' name, amen.